And our first reading is from the book of Acts, chapter 2. Uh, it can be found on page 1032 of the Church Bibles. 1032, uh, Acts chapter 2, starting to read at verse 42. <clears throat> the fellowship of the believers. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give anyone who had need, to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. This is the word of the Lord. Now please stand as we turn to the gospel reading. And it's taken from John chapter 10, beginning to read at verse 1. Hear the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ according to John. Glory, Glory to you, O Lord. The Good Shepherd and His Sheep. It's on page 1016 of the Church Bibles. I think you beat me to it, sorry. The Good Shepherd and His Sheep. Very truly, I tell you, Pharisees, anyone who does not enter the sheepfold by the gate, but climbs in by some other way, is a thief and a robber. The one who enters by the gate is the shepherd of the sheep. The gatekeeper opens the gate for him, and the sheep listen to his voice. He calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought out all his own, he goes on ahead of them, and his sheep follow him because they know his voice. But they will never follow a stranger. In fact, they will run away from him because they do not recognize a stranger's voice. Jesus used this figure of speech, but the Pharisees did not understand what he was telling them. Therefore, Jesus said again, Very truly, I tell you, I am the gate for the sheep. All who have come before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep have not listened to them. I am the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved. They will come in and go out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I have come that they might have life and have it to the full. This is the gospel of the Lord. Praise, Praise to you, O Christ. Just a short prayer before you sit down. Father, your word is sharper than a two-edged sword. May we hear and receive that word today, and may I be faithful to it. Amen. Please be seated. <laughs> well, every Christian wants to belong to a thriving church. And in our reading from Acts, that is exactly what we have a picture of, a thriving church. Every day their numbers grew as God added those who were saved. Every day it grew. Wow. 
However, before I want us to look at this church, its characteristics and its priorities, I want us to consider the last two words in verse 47. Those who are being saved were added to that church. Those who are being saved, implying something continuous and ongoing. Our gospel reading from John 10 makes it very clear who these people were. Jesus is talking about a sheepfold, which we can, and we, which we can take to mean God's kingdom. And he makes it very clear that there is only one way into that kingdom, just as there was only one in entrance into the fold. Jesus very, very emphatically says in verse 7 of that reading, I am the gate or the entrance. Whoever enters through me will be saved, meaning that it is only belief in who Jesus is, that his death on the cross was for us and is the means for us to have a living day-to-day -day relationship with God. It is only in this way we are saved from the wrath and condemnation of God. Now that's pretty serious stuff and it's worthy of our attention if we've never ever seriously considered it before. But now let's go back to that thriving church in Acts. What were its characteristics? What caused it to thrive? Well, the first thing that impressed me was that little word in verse 42, devoted. This is the dictionary definition of the word. Feeling or displaying strong affection or attachment, selflessly loyal or zealously committed, ardent. And this is a description of the members of that thriving church. I ask myself, is that a description of me as a member of this church? The next thing to notice about the church is that it is a listening church. The members faithfully met together to listen to the apostles' teaching. It was as if they hungered to learn all there was to learn about Jesus and his teaching, almost as much as they hungered for daily nourishment. God can only teach a people who have a teachable spirit. One commentator has gone as far as to say this, we should count it a wasted day when we do not learn something new and when we have not penetrated more deeply into the wisdom and grace of God. I find that very challenging. This surely must be the way to grow in our faith, however long we've been a Christian. The next thing to notice is that it was a church of fellowship. There was a very special quality of togetherness about this early church. Nelson said after one of his victories, I had the happiness to command a band of brothers. The church is a real church, only when it is a band of brothers and sisters. 
The word fellowship means much more than being together. It means having in common, as we see in verse 44, which was more than their common belief in Jesus, which we see in the next characteristic, which was that it was a sharing church. There was an intense feeling of responsibility for each other. Loving Christians are those who are moved with compassion and action when they see someone in the fellowship in need, whatever that need might be. Next, we see that they were a praying church. They knew that they could not live successful lives in their own strength. And more importantly, that they didn't need to. They met with God through prayer before they met the world. And then they found that they were able to meet the problems that they would encounter in the world. Because, first of all, they had met with him. When a church or group of churches meets together for prayer, not only does this strengthen the Christian community, but also unifies it. And we experience something of this during the shift. Another characteristic was that it was a worshipping church. We see this from verses 46 and 47. They met regularly for worship as well as prayer. And, you know, things happen when we come together for worship and prayer. God's spirit moves upon his worshipping people. Something else we discovered during the shift. So it's not surprising to know that the early church was a church where things happened. Signs and wonders were a common occurrence. If we expect great things from God, then great things will happen. And great things could happen in our church if we, like the early church, believed that in partnership with God, signs and wonders would be seen here also. You know, a great and powerful God deserves great and powerful prayers. Verse 46 tells us that it was a happy church. In fact, a gloomy church would be a contradiction in terms. In John 10, 10, Jesus says that he's come to give us abundant life or life to the full. So how can people who have abundant life not be happy? And because of this, the early church was a church that people liked and they were drawn to. Now, this is where I'm going to... Um, align myself with Fabian. I haven't got a clue whether the pronunciation of these Greek words is right or not. So you just have to take my word for it. The Greek word for good is agathos, meaning something is good. But the Greek word kalos means a thing that is not only good, but it looks good. And the early church had a winsome attractiveness about it. Because a real vibrant Christianity is a lovely thing which people are attractive to and they want to join. The church that I attended in Gillingham was in a very prominent place at the corner of what used to be a very busy high street, even on a Sunday. And I remember once that our vicar said, 
What do people see on our faces as we leave this church? Do they see something which might make them want to join us? I believe that the reason that the early church was thriving wasn't just due to its characteristics, but also to its priorities. You know, people's priorities are reflected in the way that they spend their time, live their lives, and in their character. This, I think, is also true of a church. God blesses the church, which is bold enough to be dedicated to his priorities, not their own. And this, like the early church, is the church that God flourishes. They allowed nothing to stand in the way of these priorities. And the four priorities are listed in verse 46. The first being the teaching of God's word, as given to them by Jesus. When the apostles got sidetracked from this, they recognized what was happening and they did something about it. The account can be found in Acts chapter 6. I said that one of the characteristics of the early church was the way they cared for one another in a practical way. But when this replaced their first priority of teaching the word, the apostles knew that this was not in accordance with God's top priority. So they chose seven men to, dis to supervise the distribution of food to the needy, almost like perhaps the first Christian uh, food bank that they've ever had, we've ever had. And but that meant that they were released to carry out the work which they were called to do. And that was teaching of God's word to those early believers. The next of their four priorities was their devotion to the fellowship of believers. Remember the dictionary's definition of devotion? Selflessly loyal, committed, displaying a strong affection or attachment. I wonder how far down our list of priorities comes our devotion to Sea Salter's Fellowship of Believers. And this is not just on a Sunday. And I know for many people here, that comes high on their list of priorities. The devo this devotion to the fellowship is based around the teaching of the risen Jesus. True fellowship comes when a church places emphasis on teaching the word of God. Worship. That's another priority as they met regularly to break bread as we are about to do this morning as we do every Sunday morning. The last in their groups of priorities was meeting together for prayer, which I believe, along with the faithful teaching of God's word, is the powerhouse which underpins a thriving church, releasing the work of the Holy Spirit in its members. So it's no surprise to see that the early church is a picture of a church walking and working in the power of the Spirit. The 3,000 new converts and those who were added to that number daily needed instruction in the word and fellowship with God's people if they were to grow to become effective witnesses. The early church did more than make converts. It made 
disciples, obeying Jesus' command in Matthew chapter 28. Therefore, go and make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. Those of you who take every day with Jesus Bible reading notes might recognize the following statement because it was in the April edition. When Jesus' way of discipleship is thinned down, marginalized, or avoided, the churches and Christians lose their antibodies against infection by secular ideologies that manipulate Christians into serving the purpose of some other Lord. Biblical evangelism is not just a matter of winning people to Christ, but making disciples for Christ. Imagine the church without committed disciples. Such a movement would have become extinct years ago. Responding to Jesus' call means committing ourselves to long-term learning and obedience. Some commentators believe that verses 42 to 46 suggest that the regular meetings of the early church were not for evangelistic purposes, but primarily for mutual encouragement and worship among the community of believers, and this included the new believers. They believe that evangelism took place in the context of the everyday life of the believers as they went out with the gospel coupled with wonders and signs. This was a powerful testimony among the unsaved Jews and later the unsaved Gentiles. Also, the way the members loved each other and served the Lord. Mark 16 tells us the disciples went out and preached everywhere and the risen Lord worked with them and confirmed his word by the signs that accompanied it. So people continued to be saved. I firmly believe that one of the main reasons that the church in today's reading was thriving was the way they established the new converts in their faith. And this was due to the importance they placed on the teaching of the word. So, what can we learn about a thriving church? Verse 46 tells us that those early Christians were not content to meet once a week for services. They met daily and cared for each other daily. And this wasn't just a place in a place of worship, but also in one another's homes. Now, obviously, today, this is not always practical for people uh, who work and have other commitments. But what I think we can learn from this is that the church wasn't a once-in-a-week occurrence, just for the Sabbath. And there are plenty of opportunities at Seasalter to be like that early church, for those of us who can. We have three midweek meetings in the old church, weekly cell meetings, prayer meetings, and other weekly activities, some where we receive teaching and others for fellowship. And we've also moved up into uh, the, the 21st century. We also keep in touch by email 
Facebook, visiting and phoning. And I know lots of people do that. All these are ways that we can encourage and show loving concern for one another. The faith of those early Christians was a day-to-day reality, not a once-a-week routine, because the risen Christ was a living reality to them. Also, his resurrection power was at work in their lives through the Holy Spirit. I think a very important lesson to learn from the early church is that of making committed disciples, not just winning people for Christ. We need to be a nurturing, caring, and teaching church, something which is a long-term commitment on everybody's part. I began by saying that every sincere Christian wants to be a part of a thriving church, a church which God blesses, But it isn't Christians who determine who and what God blesses. God, through his word, has made it simple and clear, the quality of church life he will honor. Any church may enjoy God's blessings if its members respond to his priorities and the pattern set out in the early church, as seen in today's reading. So I'm going to finish by reading once again the account of a thriving church, as recorded in the message. Everyone around was in awe. All those wonders and signs done through the apostles. And all the believers lived in wonderful harmony, holding everything in common. They sold whatever they owned and pooled their resources so that each person's need was met. They followed a daily discipline of worship in the temple, followed by meals at home, every meal a celebration, exuberant and joyful as they praised God. People in general liked what they saw. Every day their number grew as God added those who were saved. Amen.